The debate over how many more data centers agencies can close, that's far from over. The 14th version of the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, or FATARA scorecard, previews how the House Oversight and Reform Committee plans to continue holding agencies' feet to the fire on data centers. In his weekly reporter's notebook, executive editor Jason Miller has the latest from the biannual grading exercise. And Jason joins me now with what's going on. And this is one of your favorite events each half year is the FATARA scores. And how did agencies do this time around overall? Generally speaking, agencies did not do as good as they had done in the past. And I'll go through the results. And you can find all the results on the committee's uh, website as well as federalnewsnetwork.com. But one agency received an A, and that was the Agency for International Development, USAID. There were two Ds, Transportation Department and the Defense Department, and then a lot of Bs and Cs, seven Bs and 14 Cs. And most of the grades were down. Uh, One was up, eight were down, 15 stayed the same. And a lot of that is due to cybersecurity. But generally speaking, what we've seen is a stagnation among the grades. And I think it's not so surprising but it's a lot of the same what we've seen time and again and time and again. It was cyber mainly that brought the scores down? It was cyber that brought the scores down. And the reason why is the way GAO, which helps the subcommittee do the, the calculations, the data they had available to them was only the Federal Information Security Management Act or FISMA report cards or, or FISMA uh, assessments from the IGs instead of a whole bunch of other data. And Tom, this begins yet another chapter of the debate between the Office of Management and Budget and the subcommittee in GAO over the data used in FATARA. We've had this debate around data centers. We'll talk about that too in a minute. But this now, it's around cybersecurity. Listen to this exchange between Jody Heiss, the congressman, the ranking member of the subcommittee, and Carol Harris from the GAO. Why are so many agencies failing? If it's a check the box or whatever it may be, why do we have so many failing right now? Well, I, I think it, again, because it's a subset, I, I wouldn't characterize it as an accurate, re- an accurate reflection of the agency's overall cyber posture. There are many other inputs that should be incorporated if you want to have a comprehensive overall grade of what, what an organization's cyber posture is. So, so is this current scorecard then as it relates to cyber relatively worthless at this point? I mean, I wouldn't say it's worthless. It, it provides one input of many. So it's, it is not an accurate representation. Again, that was Jody Heiss, the congressman ranking member from uh, the subcommittee, as well as Carol Harris, Harris, the director of IT and cyber issues at GAO. Tom, what you heard there was how valuable are these IG assessments? And I spoke with Grant Schneider, the former federal information security officer for during the Obama administration. And one of the things he pointed to was to understand agency cyber posture, it's really a combination of a lot of different data. He used to use agency self-assessments from CIOs and CISOs, as well as the IG assessment, as well as other data that OMB collected. And what this debate got to between OMB and and the committee basically was, well, if you're not going to give us any more data because you stopped using the cross-agency priority goals from the Trump administration, then we'll just use the data in front of us. Unfortunately, that data from the IGs is not as accurate. And we've talked about this for decades, it feels like, Tom. And it doesn't really show the cyber posture. Listen to Vaughn Noga, the EPA CIO, discuss why his feelings about this data. I don't believe it's an accurate reflection. Just like what was previously stated, it's the, the current score is based on one aspect, which is the IG assessment. And at the EPA, the IG only assesses to the three level. So um, right off the bat, we're not able to be assessed at uh, any level higher than, than three. But you still only received at 60%, even, even as it is with the IG. 
assessment? We, we received a, a level three, but they can only assess up to a level three. They, they didn't assess us any higher than a level three. So um, if you're looking at a, a one to three score, we received the highest on, on their score based on what they could assess. Again, Vaughn Noga, the EPA CIO, speaking with Congressman, again, Jody Heiss, pointing out whether or not these uh, FISMO grades are, are really worthwhile. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller, and cybersecurity is the issue of the day, but earlier we mentioned that the data center consolidation, data center closure issue, which goes back many, many years too, at least 10, 12, 15 years, in some ways 30 years, if you go back to Alice Rivlin. What is going on here now, and what's going to happen next on data centers? Previously, during Fatara 13, last January, the committee... Uh, and GAO kind of insinuated, hey, I think we are done here. Every agency received an A on optimization. Uh, there was still a big push for closures, but agencies had closed more than 4,000 data centers since 2016. A lot of progress. If you look at a lot of agencies have one or two data centers left. Uh, the DOD, for example, is the, the outlier with more than 600. But even John Sherman, the CIO, says we are making progress. We've closed more than 230 this year already. But the debate goes back to the different definitions and how OMB has changed the definitions over the years and how GAO and Jerry Connolly, specifically the congressman from Virginia, have pushed back against that change of definition. So this debate has come up and we thought, OK, they're going to retire this category altogether. Instead, what we're seeing is, is Jerry Connolly and, and, and GAO want to create a, a new category for data center closures. Jerry Connolly wrote a letter to all the CIOs asking for this data, listening to him why he thinks this letter specifically is going to help with this future category. Earlier this month, agency CIOs received a letter from the subcommittee asking them to justify the need for their remaining respective data centers. Subcommittee plans to use these answers as a part of a new methodology. The goal is to ensure agencies think strategically about their costly data center use, incentivize the closure of underutilized data centers, and save taxpayer dollars. It's our hope that focus on this category will enhance federal government's movement to the cloud. Tom, we have a copy of that letter from Jerry Connolly on federalnewsnetwork.com. You can see basically the questions he's asking and the data he's looking for. This debate will continue, but the question that I've been, been asking and heard from a lot of former, firm, former current federal executives is, is the juice worth the squeeze anymore? Can you get any more savings out of data center consolidation? Or should the committee, and they have limited resources, really focus on other areas that really that's going to be more beneficial and really provide more value more broadly to the government? That's the big question that I think needs to be, needs to be answered. And maybe the bigger question is, is the juice worth the squeeze from the Fatara scorecard, or could that be updated in some way? Is there a different future for that one? That is part of what this committee in this hearing, Fatara 14, talked about. Fatara 13 as well brought in former federal officials as well to, to give them feedback, and the committee is collecting everything. They're continuing to work with OMB on, on changes to the scorecard. The question that, that again, I, I asked this in my, in my reporter's notebook, Tom, is, is this is actually the last Fatara hearing or one of the last ones? If the Republicans take over in November, like many believe they will, and you have a new uh, committee, subcommittee leadership, it may not be Jody Heiss because he's obviously leaving Congress. It'll be somebody else. Will they focus on this or will they move over to Hunter Biden's laptop or some other bigger issue that they believe is more important than federal IT management issues? Or will federal IT, the Fatara scorecard, just be once a year versus twice a year? And we already know that the committee plans to sunset the CIO authorities category and add this data center one. 
there's a big push for them also to start looking at legacy IT and potentially the technology modernization fund and how that money is being used. So changes are coming. What they'll look like, Tom, you and I will be paying attention, of course. And I'm sure you'll be the first to see it. Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. And check out his latest reporter's notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader, and what about them inspired you? You know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there are so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether You know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And 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 he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that 
you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.